0: Miracy.
1: As somebody who has worked a lot with like deep meditation, when used as tools, these plants can help you. They can help somebody who's not as advanced in meditation get to these same places.
0: Hello, I'm Katie Valentine and you're listening to Soul Savvy Business. I'm a soul-minded spiritual entrepreneur, a Christian minister, and a New Testament scholar. Don't let any of that scare you. I support all paths to the divine and I use tools like chakras, dreams, and intuition to get there. On this podcast, we explore the intersection of business and spirituality. What do I mean by that? Too often, we separate our business selves from our spiritual selves. But in doing that, we don't leverage the full potential of either one. This series aims to help you fall in love with your own soul so that you can live your most fulfilling and successful life. On today's episode, I'll be talking with a retired chef and a chocolatier who combines plant medicine with culinary skills to provide a truly exquisite experience. But first... In every episode, I offer a tip around abundance and your spiritual journey. Today's abundance tip fits right into the business of my guest, so I just couldn't resist. It's about food and being mindful about what we eat and how it's prepared. Today's tip is to simply practice gratitude around mealtimes. And this is one that I am very often to forget, so I am my own best reminder. Every single day, we have the opportunity to be grateful for the food that's in front of us. This doesn't mean practicing a prescribed prayer or being overly demonstrative about gratitude, but simply pausing to offer thanks for the amazing cycle of planting, farming, raising, and harvesting that enabled the food to appear before you. And what I love about this practice is that it really is about pure gratitude. It's not about money. It's not about business. It's about a habit and a lifestyle of offering gratitude. And this is part of the Abundance Cycle. It's recognizing the abundance of the earth and the universe around us. My guest today is Seamus Black. Seamus is an entrepreneur and the creator of gourmet chocolate truffles blended with sacred plant medicines. I'm so excited about today's episode, and there's a lot I want to cover, so we'll get right to it. Seamus, welcome to the show.
1: Hello. Thank you for inviting me.
0: I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm just curious if anything resonated with you in the tip about practicing gratitude around mealtimes.
1: I love it. It's something that I work on a lot myself, is working on gratitude and for meals as well. Interestingly, I... Have recently been talking a lot about uh, like the sensual enjoyment of food and chocolate would be that perfect example of letting go. Just getting into that role, sensuous enjoyment of it and stepping back and going to the level of gratitude and thinking of the farmers and thinking of the earth and thinking of the creation and just taking these foods as sustenance and as this offering and this connection to the earth and this connection to all of the people in the universe and all of us working together, rather than when we go for the sensual enjoyment of the chocolate and the creaminess, which is there, but we almost get robbed of that connection and that feeling of gratitude.
0: You know, this is such wisdom coming from someone who's a chef and a chocolatier, because I would have never even thought about that. But you're so right. It's two different sensations, isn't it?
1: Yes, very much so.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. And I was having kind of a meditative moment as I was writing the Abundance Tip as well. I'm thinking about spirituality and most of the miracles of Jesus, or not most, but a vast majority of the miracles around Jesus were around providing food for people.
1: It's true. I hadn't thought of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's so many around providing food and the basics of life. And it wasn't chocolate, but it's like bread and fish. Yeah, and so that resonates a lot with what you said. So yeah, thank you for that tip. Although nothing wrong with enjoying the luxuriousness of a chocolate either. You know, there's room for both.
1: Right. But if we get hung up on it only doing that one aspect, we miss out on so much more.
0: Right. Yes. Yes. Well, we're going to get into your spiritual background and current practices in just a moment. Um, but first, I'm wondering if you could tell us what word or words you currently use when you're referring to what you consider to be the divine.
1: A uh, universal truth, maybe. I talk a lot about connecting to the universe, hearing the universe, truth, understanding our truth, knowing our truth. And the universal truths are what I speak of that when we're coming from a really pure place, all of like Christianity and Buddhism and sacred plant troubles. There's these interlocking truths that are all the same threads weaving into the same fabric of the universe. And so trying to find a language that people understand and trying to cross over a lot of these barriers, which seem to be, I guess, like the different labels people put on different religions or spiritualities and finding these more of the universal truths that hold us together, looking for the similarities instead of the differences.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, beautiful. And well, you mentioned that you weren't brought up Christian. So we would love to know what was your spiritual or religious background, you know, when you were growing up? Were you raised in a particular religion or with a particular spiritual belief or practice?
1: No, we weren't. I was about 18 years old before I realized that Christians believed the Bible and that the stories I knew from Christianity, that people took them like literally. And it wasn't a metaphor. I guess we were one of those families where science is God. There was a lot of talk about it academically. We were a family of very progressive and liberal thinkers, very well-read, well-educated, but religion wasn't part of our thing. Though we might discuss it, how it fit in historically and culturally and politically and the significance of it, but we didn't, it wasn't something we participated in.
0: Well, so we've got to hear this journey because I know that you spent time in the Native American church. So just tell us a little bit about how that came to be and maybe do us, give us a little bit of education about what the Native American church is as well.
1: Well, these are the Native Americans who use peyote, who pray with peyote. And there's a lot of politics revolving around that, where even Native Americans on reservations aren't allowed to handle peyote or pray with peyote unless they're actually part of the Native American church. So there's kind of a lot of politics around it. But when you hear somebody say the Native American church, they're talking about that they're praying in these ceremonies with peyote. So when I say that was part of it, it means that I was working with Peyote in the very traditional ceremonies on the reservations, because it only happens on reservations. Uh, and that, that it was uh, very much a way of life, just like Christianity would be a way of life or Judaism, or I was very much that was very much uh, part of my thinking, and it still is very much part of my thinking. Before that, I got into meditation, into Vipassana meditation. And was very into that and was doing some intensive retreats and meditating for like overnight meditations, 12 hours straight and meditating for like, well, trying to go like a week straight with barely any talking, just meditating, meditating, meditating. And through there is actually how I ended up in the Native American church. I I, I mean, it's an odd thing. And it was the meditation teacher kind of pointed me in that direction.
0: Okay, so you were doing a very intensive meditation, 12 hours at a stretch is no joke. Just give us a little more of the story now. I'm super (laughs)
1: intrigued. (laughs) So the meditation teacher, and and he was a, a fascinating man. And he actually, he turned out to be quite unsurprisingly pretty well known. And I think it's okay to mix his name with this information, but his name is Shinzen Young. And... So this is like a few decades ago, I guess. And, oh, he had gone to, though, Japan. He had worked. He had uh, studied in the monasteries up in the mountains, done the vows of silence, done like for years, really heavy duty meditation work. So he's the guy who I was learning from. And... We got along really well, and he would do these one on one meditations where he would guide you, he'd figure out where you were, and then help you one on one. And he had gotten to know like elders in Native American communities and had been invited to various ceremonies uh, where he would talk to like the spiritual leaders. And so they would have, you know, these people with great uh, spiritual knowledge sharing with each other. And he said that it might be extremely unorthodox, but I just think that you might really get something out of them. And he made some phone calls, and I got invited to a Native American church ceremony.
0: Yeah, I would think that that's pretty unusual because there's, you know, good reason for Native Americans not to want non-Natives in ceremonies like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not even legal, too. They are fighting constantly for their right, and I'm still a big advocate. They should not have to fight for that right. I mean, that's... (laughs) that's theirs to pray with, but they have to fight for that right. Even as a Native American, that's just not even enough. They still have to be in the Native American church and even being a member of the Native American church, they can still be harassed and thrown into jail for practicing their spirituality. Just for them to take me, for them to let me, allow me to sit in and then sit in continually and invite me to live on the reservation, accept me as part of the community, for an extended amount of time, was extremely exceptional.
0: And yeah, how long were you there?
1: I was there for a few years.
0: It sounds so amazing. And this is such a fascinating story. And so I'm just curious if you can kind of bring us up to the present. Um, your your time, it sounds so formative, spent in the Native American church after growing up in a non-religious setting. So where does that bring you now? You know, What are your current beliefs? What are your current spiritual practices?
1: Um. They're forever colored and changed by my experience on the on the reservation. And that forever changed my thinking because it's not just a set of beliefs, but it's uh, thinking that really isn't linear thinking. It's like nonlinear thinking. And it's like relearning how to think, not like being programmed, but just thinking at things in such a completely different way. It just weaves in perfectly with this very ancient forms of, and these ancient truths from meditation, which are also truths so that I've seen in countless other religions, you know, from the beginning of time, there's just these truths that just keep coming out. Including, I mean, basic truths, like what's the truth? Like, you know, <laughs> love everybody like you would love yourself. Treat people like you would treat yourself. Treat people with respect. Love people. Respect the earth. Things like that.
0: And what about your practices? Do you have particular practices? You know, we talked a little bit about food oh. and we'll talk more about plant medicine as we, as we get into the episode. Do you still meditate?
1: I meditate. I do. I work with the plants still, but I do not work with anything like peyote. But the plants that I found is I was guided to use them that these plants are like peyote and these are plants that could be shared like peyote for people who are not Native American. And though they're not nearly as intense, they're very gentle, like non hallucinogenic kind of a situation, but as they could still take you to the same places, especially with meditation, they could still offer so much healing and the healing is more of that like spiritual healing, healing of the psyche. And so now I'm more about that kind of work. And what I talk about a lot is spiritual maturity And it's something that I think is missing from a lot of spiritual paths, unfortunately. I think, especially with the more, a lot of Eurocentric people, they seem to really lack spiritual maturity. And that's something that, like, the meditation road definitely plays into. And if I can share what I've learned and what has helped me in any way that might help others, I um, feel like I'm doing great.
0: Thank you for that, and and I want to thank you also for kind of speaking into the difference between beliefs and practices, because beliefs are generally for Abrahamic religions, mm-hmm. like for Judaism, Christianity, Islam, we're very big on beliefs, like what do you believe? But most other religions or spiritual systems are more about the practices and being in the moment. Beliefs tend to be sort of very Western mindset, but this nonlinear way of practicing is, is, is more global, actually. Yeah. And I'm curious if any of your spiritual experiences or spiritual practices have influenced the way you feel about money or abundance? Oh, hugely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no one ever says no to that, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, and two, I grew up in a
1: pretty nice suburb. And I grew up very privileged in a family that was well-educated. And we had wonderful schools to go to when we were in kindergarten. They were talking about what do you want to be? And when we're going to go to college, which all assumed we're going to really mean going to universities and becoming rich and successful people, right? Money was just kind of programmed into me. And so coming from there to where I am now is so completely different and to... even try to run into people from my past or trying to talk to a sibling recently. And he's older and he's concerned because he feels bad because I don't have much money. And I I do feel that I may have much less money than my three siblings, but I feel like I have so much more success than them, (laughs) not in a competition. I mean, in a loving way, I wish them that they could have the same success because I feel like I'm free. I know peace. I know happiness. When I was divorcing from my children's biological father, I'd gone through a period where I wasn't working and I realized, well, I need to go back to school. Long story short, school wasn't working out. I realized I was going to be miserable pursuing it. I wanted my kids to see I could take care of them. I didn't want them to see me quitting school, but then I realized the better thing to teach them is don't ever choose money over happiness. And so I told them, it's like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I thought I'd be able to get this job. I thought we'd be able to do this stuff, but I don't want to ever teach you guys that that's more important than being happy and following who you are.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about how your spiritual experiences have impacted, you know, the way you think about abundance, the way you think about money now. What's I sense what changed. And I'm curious, how did your spirituality kind of factor into that?
1: When I was a chef, it was the really fancy food, really expensive, fancy food. And then live on a reservation with so much poverty. And to realize that I had spent my life up until then providing a service that nobody on that reservation would ever be able to afford.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: And that I I provided a service for only rich people. I provided a service even I couldn't afford. Even my own friends couldn't afford. And I started realizing how broken it was. And I didn't want to spend my life providing a service for the people who just had a certain amount of money. I am an artist. A lot of chefs are like artists. And I was presenting in this beautiful food. But it was sort of like, no, you don't get it. This is only for rich people. And it's just, it's so wrong.
0: I love hearing about this journey and the kind of nonlinear path that you've been on, but it feels like so expansive. I sense this ever expanding kind of quality in you. Well, let's talk a little bit about your business. Seamus, can you tell us a little bit about your business and what you deliver for your customers?
1: So I make... Uh, gourmet chocolate truffles infused with sacred plant medicines. I use nightshades, and nightshades are a family of plants. Uh, It's actually, I mean, like tomatoes and eggplants and such, but there's another group of nightshades that are just riddled with, like, weird folklore and tons of misinformation. And I was just given that this, like, gift and this insight is that these plants were to be used in this different way uh, of to help people to grow, to help people to be able to see themselves objectively, to be able to see their lives and things in their lives, or of like as a witness rather than a participant. So they could like step back devoid of having that emotional reaction, you know, of having that emotional attachment to it. They could just sort of see it with a new objectivity, being able to see it without being uh, emotionally attached to it. They could get a lot of times find closure because they could finally see things they couldn't see about it before. How could something so bad in my life, you know, possibly be good? How could this horrible thing happen to me? How could my parents do this? And finally finding compassion for people because it's like I could never When I was emotionally attached to it, I could never really truly put myself in anybody else's shoes.
0: So you're providing the plant medicine for, you know, deep transpersonal transformation. Yes. And, and it sounds like you're also doing that in a way that's educating people about meditation. And this is, it's not sort of a casual get high kind of thing. Oh, absolutely not. And I'm constantly
1: having to put out the message. Please don't buy them, not just because it's offensive to me, but you're going to be sorely disappointed because they're just not going to leave you feeling high. They're much more gentle than that. But as somebody who has worked a lot with like deep meditation, when used as tools, these plants, they can help somebody who's not as advanced in meditation get to these same places.
0: Oh, that's really helpful. Thank you. And can you give us an example of some of the plants? I can, and I
1: I am open about it. It is like belladonna, mandrake, henbane. And people talk about these things all the time, these plants. But like belladonna is called deadly nightshade. I mean, it's, it's just not true. There's, I mean, there's discretion, responsibility.
0: Yeah, you talked earlier about spiritual maturity. And that's what really strikes me with this, is that this requires a level of spiritual maturity.
1: Yes, I do want to share it. And two, after living on the reservation, this is me coming back now and living with my own people and sort of realize where people are at. And so there's a lot of is trying to teach people basic steps of how to set up basic meditation or some sort of a practice to use them so that they can get a benefit.
0: Can you talk to us about your relationship with the plants? You know, you kind of mentioned that you were guided to work with these plants, especially for people not of Native descent. So I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about your interaction with the plants, the plants as, as sacred partners, if they're teaching you?
1: Yeah, I very much view these plants as alive, not just alive, but they're talking to me and communicating with me and communicating with everybody, it's like having elders, having like old wisdom, having a, a grandmother, a grandfather, but they're almost like idealistic out of a movie or a book or something. They just smile when you come in the room. They remember everything about you. They make you just feel so special and loved it and loved for being you so specifically. And they bring out the best in me and all this kind of stuff—they are like people. They are—they do talk to me. The level of guidance isn't a coincidence. It's not a biological chemical effect because of uh, certain alkaloids had uh, triggered a certain response, and therefore this happened. I mean, it's like no. There's a communication that happens, and the more we can open ourselves up and be receptive, is the more that's when we can finally start hearing them communicating with us again and really guiding with us. And isn't that true though with any kind of spirituality? The more we can really open up and be receptive to hear God's word, to hear the universe's guidance, to hear, right, anything, it's all about openness and receptivity. And how much are we willing to let a power greater than us into our lives and let that, this power or this beauty into our life, how much are we willing to how much are we willing to surrender to this beauty and let this beauty guide us and realize that this beauty can guide us in a way that we cannot guide ourselves
0: yeah i i so appreciate this and I've had just my own interesting, I wouldn't call it a transformation, but a new awareness the past few years with the natural world and with plants, because I've Mm -hmm. always described myself as someone who doesn't have a green thumb. And to some extent, that's true. I don't keep plants alive very well in my house, and I respect them enough to not try anymore Uh all that much. But going outside, uh, I I have a newfound kind of relationship, especially with trees, and that's part of some training that I've done uh, recently. Um, as well. And you know, we've learned so much recently about like how trees communicate with each other, about how their root systems are intertwined, and about the wisdom of the plant world. And you know, I, I just see you taking that wisdom to a whole new level and then inviting people into this wisdom in this really unique way. I'm just and I'm so appreciative of that. um, and it's it's striking me that this requires time and it requires some stillness,
1: oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Definitely. And patience. Yeah. These plants can bring insight, can do all of this stuff, can help you find peace. They can help you find self-love. But is that too of the patience of that it might not happen on your on your your schedule? You may not be in charge of when it's gonna happen. And letting go, letting surrendering that control.
0: That's amazing. Seamus' passion for the plant world, including plant medicine, activated my research brain. The ancient world had many theories of medicine and of health, and in fact, the modern symbol for doctors of the snakes and the vine comes from two ancient Greek sources, Asclepius, the god of healing, who carried a rod entwined with a serpent, and then Hermes, the messenger god, who carried a staff with two snakes intertwined. Doctors today take the Hippocratic oath named after Hippocrates the ancient Greek descendant of Asclepius. As I mentioned earlier, the ministry of Jesus was highly focused on healing and on food. Many of the miracles of Jesus offered health care to people who had very little access, and he offered radical feeding to people who were often hungry, like the miracle of the multiplication of the fishes and the loaves. These stories aren't necessarily literal but they're indicative of the kind of care that Jesus was offering people. And Seamus' concern for the affordability of food and of plant medicine resonated so strongly with me because of these New Testament stories. And let's go just a little deeper. The Greek word for drugs is pharmakeia. This can mean medicine, sometimes it can mean poisoning, sometimes it can mean magic and sorcery. You can hear the ancient word for pharmacy or pharmacological in the word pharmakeia. The word only appears three times in the New Testament, usually in the context of magic. Jesus doesn't seem to use pharmakeia in his healing, but we see something very interesting in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 3, where women accompany Jesus in his healing ministry. Though the women are said to have had demons, The New Testament scholar Elaine Wainwright suggests that this is a cover-up. Instead, the women were actually healers and herbalists who later got labeled as demonic. These women would have had their own pharmakeia, which they in turn taught to Jesus. As someone who myself loves energy work and sees practices like Reiki as in line with the healing work of Jesus, as well as other kinds of modern-day pharmakeia, like ibuprofen, which I do take, or herbs or plant medicine like Seamus offers. These are all part and parcel of our healing, of our abundance, and of taking radical control and responsibility for our own health. I think it's so cool that Seamus is taking this ancient pharmakeia approach and with his own experience in the Native American church and applying it in a unique and very real context for people today to experience this radical healing. And it seems to me that he is in a long tradition of healers with expression now in the 21st century. Well, kind of getting back to your business, um, I'm curious, what has been the biggest challenge for you in building your business? One of the biggest challenges
1: is the uh, mis the insane amount of misinformation out there and that so many people think that these plants are deadly poisonous.
0: So how do you uh, deal with that in the business?
1: So just trusting the way I'm being led and really learning to, it's not about what other people think about me. It's about doing what I believe is the right thing to do. Right.
0: I can so relate on a really, really different level because a lot of what I do is help Christians get comfortable with metaphysical practices. And so you can imagine my social media feeds are filled with you're sending people to hell, you're Satan in disguise, Yeah, because we're challenging a core belief. Exactly.
1: That sounds like the equivalent of what I'm dealing with. And you can kind of try to defend yourself to people. But at a certain point, the truth doesn't need defending. The truth is the truth. And we just kind of wish them well. We try to kind of guide them. But if somebody's got their heels dug in and they don't want to change their mind, there's a certain point of it's like, you know, there's a lot of people who are open-minded and who are looking for something else. And my time is better spent talking to them than to the person who's got their heels dug in and who does not want to change what they're thinking.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's where we spend our time and our energy, and um, yeah, and, and it sounds to me. I mean, from what I've seen, from what you do, your marketing and your website is all very focused on responsible usage, and personal transformation, and on yeah, and education. And um, yeah. what a beautiful way to combat that—the particular, very unique niche that you are in, and the challenges that that brings. <laughs> well, you know, you have such this personal mission normalizing the use of plants for healing and spiritual growth. And you're also very open about your transgender journey and an effort to normalize gender difference and gender transition. And just one of those missions would be plenty for most people, but you've taken on both. (laughs) And I would love if you would just share whatever you feel led to about your gender journey.
1: Um, Let's see, I transitioned when I was 50, which is quite late. I was like 45 the first time that I saw a transgender man who had top surgery, which means he had had corrective surgery. You know, back in my day, they would have called it, I guess, a sex change or something. But he looked like a man who was born a man. And I ended up Googling transgender men topless. And I just saw this page of men that looked exactly like any other men. And my jaw just dropped. And I was like, that's a possibility? How come nobody ever told me that was a possibility? And that, that was like, I didn't even realize I was trans. I mean, I knew I was, but I didn't know that's what it was my entire life. I lived as a woman until I was 50. It took me another five years to really, really come to with it and make the decision to transition and be able to, to open up about it. But I was born in 65. So, I mean, I was raised by a single mom. So we were in the heart of the Women's Live movement. And I grew up as a strong woman, but I was always so frustrated In my mind, when I was younger, I pictured a boy and as a woman, I pictured a man inside. I never pictured a woman as my ideal of what I should look like and things like that. But man, my life started at 50. I mean, and I didn't even realize how depressed I was most of my life until after I transitioned. And I had done therapy and stuff like that. But it's just like, man, I was just I wasn't the right gender.
0: I've talked to so many people who when they live into their authentic gender expression, they tell me how much it elevated their mood and lifted them and for many people saved their lives. And so I just want to thank you for lifting that up in your own experience. And I'm curious if you've experienced your gender journey as spiritual.
1: Yeah, I think it was very much a culmination of all of it. It's just like the meditation teachings and the we call it the Red Road, like the Native American Road. Like those two were so intertwined as the gender thing seems very much like a part of it too. Of even like two of my life is all about morphing into new things, becoming new me's, becoming like a snake shedding its skin, like a... Like, I'm into swans, too, and you can even think of, like, there's a lot of, well, swans of, that's more of, like, a really old folklore, but of uh, things changing from one thing to another, like a butterfly and things like that. So there's so many times in my life where I... I shed part of me what's time for me to grow past. And because I'm able to let go of so much of a part of so much of what I've been hanging on to, I become somebody new. But who I become is so much more of a more authentic me. And so it almost seems just like perfect. I think we're so divided as genders right now. And it's really sad. I think the youth, wow, all these like gender fluid kids. I'm okay with that. I can see it might be really scary to people, but I think is what the key is is that gender isn't that important and that divide is I think problematic. It's only with transitioning that I see how divided it is. And then like I say too is like the youth, I mean they don't they don't care.
0: Yeah, they really don't and <laughs> they don't care and I
1: think they are onto something. Man
0: yeah, and it's, you know, the more fluidity I think we have in culture too, the more there's opportunity for pushback because it's it's challenging a core belief for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and so,
1: it's exactly, it's back to that again.
0: Well, thank you for sharing all that for being so open. I really, really appreciate it. And yeah. uh, the interweaving with your journey with Native American church and plant medicine too just seems so poignant. Well, let me get an answer to a question that I asked each of the guests. What do you think of when I say being in alignment and what does that mean to you, if anything?
1: To me, that means being true to yourself. On each hand, I have a tattoo of a star constellation and the star constellations were used in old like mapping techniques for various tribes and even sailors to find our way home. And so I purposely put these, uh, tattooed these on my hands when I lived on the reservation that they would help me find my way home and that they would help me find my way home back to my heart, that I would stop being distracted by other people, by what I read, by other influences.
0: For you, what does it feel like when you are not in alignment?
1: I would say the biggest one would be lost. Lost mixed with, I would say, confusion, uh, depressed, no confidence, no self-worth.
0: Do you have any kind of tried or true um, ways that you step back into alignment? It's kind of a
1: meditation thing. Like I use my hands. We had the video on. I'm like a big sweeping motion of pulling everything. And then with my hands and like patting them back into my heart. And then it's putting like literally like just breathing and focusing on the heart, getting out of our heads and focusing on the heart again. And once you can just finally get where you feel centered in the heart again, and your thoughts aren't pulling you out of the heart, that's the return to the center. That's the return to the good place.
0: Lovely. I love your phrasing there, the thoughts that try to pull us out of our heart space. That is just so, so true. And, you know, for entrepreneurs, we all have periods where we do get out of our heart and we have maybe thoughts that are kind of pulling us away from that space. Well, before we wrap up, Seamus, do you have any advice that you'd like to share with the listeners?
1: Uh, don't give up (laughs) (laughs) and look to yourself for validation. Look inside for validation. There's a dependence on books and a dependence on teachers and a dependence on surely somebody knows better than I know. And I think it goes hand in hand with that needing to validate what we know and what we believe. Trust ourselves. Trust our paths. Trust how we're being led. Trust that we're worthy of being led. Trust that we're worthy of being led to beautiful things. Trust that we're worthy of having gifts of insight of our own without somebody else having to tell us the insights.
0: That is beautiful. Um, thank you so much, Seamus, for your work and for being here. What is the best way for people to find you? Emporiumblack.com
1: is our website. There's a contact information there. We have an email, Seamus Black at emporiumblack.com always people have questions or anything on any of this, I am super happy to talk more without any expectations of purchases.
0: Awesome. Yes. I love the education that you're doing. I'm Katie Valentine, and you've been listening to Soul Savvy Business, Soul Savvy Business is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which includes shows like Just Between Coaches and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Melissa Deal and Cynthia. Melissa Deal assembled the episode, and Danny Eni is our executive producer. Post-production was by Post Office Sound. To make sure you don't miss any great episodes coming up on Soul Savvy Business, just follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like the show, please give us a start review. It is the best way to help get these ideas out there to more people. Thank you so much, and I will see you next time.